Coming to you live from Radio Hub Studios, it's a cure for boldness. Now here's your host, Silky and Bush. Well, welcome listeners, back with Silky and Bush. Of course, our cure for boldness, you know the drill on this podcast we interview, some great people, some great Australians, and of course, Silky, some great stories. Yeah, we've got a very special guest uh, for this week's show, uh, Amir Zoghi, a stunt pilot of all things Bush. Yeah, mate, uh, pretty exciting times, actually has a company called the Red Baron, and not just that, Amir's got a wonderful story of how he got there, Amir is a motivational speaker, of course. Uh, he goes for the Sydney Roosters, which also helps us too. But, mate, uh, we're ready to lock in, as they would say, and we're ready for takeoff. Amir, welcome. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, mate, uh, let's get straight to it, I guess. I, I think, um, you know, after you know learning so much about you and uh, Suki and I have uh, become mates with you and uh, over the time had a great discussion. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you're now a aerobatic stunt pilot? Where the journey began? Well, the journey began back when I was 16. Uh, when I was 16, I, uh, was, I was flying and uh, it cost a lot of money to fly. And I uh, remember my, my parents or my dad would drive me to the airport in his Datsun 200B. And uh, once I uh, finished my flying lessons, we would have to jump start it to get it going. Uh, so it wasn't fair, but the, they were putting all their money to, for me to follow my dream. And uh, by the age of 16, before I got my driver's license, I was able to go solo uh, so it was always a passion of me uh, for me to fly, but unfortunately, uh, after a certain time, that actually stopped because I really couldn't uh, ask my parents to keep paying for it. And uh, so when I, once I finished school, I pursued other dreams, and uh, I was like, "Well, I don't have the money for flying. You know, I better go get get into business and uh, make money that way." So let's just take it back a step. I mean, as a kid, as a young kid, did you? Uh, you know, dream. Did you used to draw airplanes? Did you used to jump off the neighbor's fence with uh, a couple of garbage bags as wings? And and like, where did where did that passion begin? I know that you know, like flying at sixteen before you drive a car is amazing. I mean, that in itself is just a great story. But where did that dream dream begin? Well, I was uh, it was back when I was I was actually born in Iran. So and my father was involved in flight operations. So when I was like four or five years of age, my father would take me to work, and uh, you know he was busy, so he kind of hand me hand me off to the pilots. And the pilots uh, would take me on their routes and I'd be sitting in the cockpit, like, no memory of wow. this. I can't remember. I don't even know if it's true, but <laughs> I was told this. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'd go on their routes and, and by the end of the day, they would give me back to my dad. Um, the only memory I have is being at the end of the runway one day and uh, my dad showing me the aircraft taking off and showing the wheels go up. And But it was that's where kind of uh, uh, it came from. And uh, growing up in, in Australia, um, I started to become afraid of flying. It's kind of weird. So... At first, there was a fear of flying, uh, but the passion became greater than than the fear, and that's when I started flying when I was when I was fifteen and went solo sixteen. Hey, you were born in Iran. Yeah. Do you have any memories of uh, being a young child over there? Because I know it was a once beautiful city, obviously a war torn country, Iran Iraq War. Do you have any memories of uh, being a kid in Iran? Uh, very very little memories. I mean, uh, my my um, originally my mum was uh, living in Italy. I was uh, in Rome, and uh, so the re- only reason I was born in Iran because my my whole family was there. So my mum went back to Iran so I can be born there, so she can have all the support. Uh, yeah, mate, I had some I had some memories. I mean, the, the only um, the big memories that stand out is like hearing bombs like near the house and wow. uh, and uh, you know when as soon as the sirens go off and you know turning all the lights off and 
and uh, hoping that a bomb doesn't land land uh, on your house and then getting up the next morning and seeing some streets. That was back when uh, Iran was uh, with war with Iraq. Yeah. Uh, but luckily enough, you know, we, we got out of the country and, uh, yeah, I feel very blessed um, to, you know, you know, we went. I went to Italy after Iran and uh, started school in Rome. So actually my second language is, is uh, Italian and third language was English. So, wow. Yeah. And how old were you when you finally got or your family got to Australia? I uh, was in I was in year one, so I was I was a good six or seven yep. years of age by by that stage. So I've been I've been raised as an Aussie, if anything. But jeez, uh, uh, I would love to learn the Italian language again. It's kind of sexy, you know. Yeah, I tell you what, so <laughs> the Italian women just quite. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's part Italian sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, it's funny, you know. You you know you've lived almost a life already at the age of seven and you've just arrived in Australia. You've dreamt about becoming a pilot or you feared it and you've become a pilot at 16. Can you just touch on what it's like when you, I mean, you overcome that fear and it become a passion. I love what you just said. Once the fear um, was overcome by the passion, I got into it. That's just a great story for everyone that wants to get into anything. Yeah. Um, what was it like taking that first solo flight? Oh, mate, if you, if there's any pilots listening to this, they'll, they'll know. It's like, it's something you never forget. Yep. Um, it's, uh, you know, I remember just, uh, what we do is circuits, which is taking off and landing. Yes. And, uh, you do that quite a bit until the, your instructor can see that, you know, yeah, he's, he's ready. So at 16, I'll just never forget when, uh, the instructor went, so how do you feel about, I'd get out of the plane now and you go solo. And, uh, I was, I was crapping myself and, um, mm. uh, but I knew I had to say, yes, I'm ready straight away. Cause, uh, you know, if he sees, if he saw any doubt, maybe he won't give me a go, but, uh, but yeah, but once you do it, I mean, it's, 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 it's you never you never forget it. That first solo, it's just like a sense of massive accomplishment and uh, just a sense of freedom, you know. Yeah, I don't want to steal a line from the Eminem song, but were your your palms sweaty, knees knees weak, arms are heavy? <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like yeah, you yeah. know, when you do something, like, I mean, driving a car for the first times. I remember 14, I was having a cigarette in the driveway, driving my dad's Honda Prelude, serious, true story, after risky business. Yeah. And I thought, right, I can do this, you know, and I looked like Ferris Bueller's dad. I couldn't get it up the driveway. It was yeah. a manual. Yeah, right. And I'm th thinking, what are you doing? And I look back now at that 14-year-old dickhead with a cigarette in his mouth and a Honda Prelude, and that was scary enough. And I just remember looking down, I was just sweaty, and how can I get this car back down? Yeah. But being an aeroplane, going in the air, having all those controls, and having, I mean, there's a fair bit of study and knowledge that goes into that, I, I assume. Uh, yeah, for the first solo, it's it's not that much study, you know. It's uh, it's it's you know a little bit, not not too much. But of course, you know, I'm a commercial pilot now, so there's been a lot of study that's gone into it now. But um, yeah, look, I, 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 you kind of get into this zone, bush, you know, like you, you've got it, like you don't. I mean, maybe for a moment you think, holy shit, my instructor's not here, you know. I've just taken off. I have to land, <laughs> you know, but. But you kind of get into that zone. Do you look back at that moment sometimes as you've got other experiences in life and we're going to touch on those? Do you look back at that particular moment and use that as motivation to get rid of other fears or make you go, Amir, you can do this? Uh, not really. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really built that one up, didn't I? <laughs> no. No, it's a, I mean, look, it's because uh, I've had greater things in life that um, I've, I've overcome that uh, I would probably use. Uh, that was such a long time ago. It's it, that was just a, a, a really a blissful uh, moment. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, I don't. I don't normally. I'm no, I don't normally use that. Um, I, I I've got the attitude that I can do anything. Yep. If, if I want to do it, I've changed m multiple uh, career paths along the way. Uh, not because I wasn't enjoying one, but because I was. I was like, well, I enjoy this too. 
You're on a cure for boldness. We're going to come back and uh, talk about some of those career paths, Amir, and, and the struggle and the journey, which is so motivating to hear that story. You're with Silky Bush and Amir Zaghi on a cure for boldness. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. Welcome back. You're on a cure for baldness with Silky and Bush. And our special guest this week is Amir Zogi. And uh, we've just been learning about Amir's first solo flight at the age of 16. But uh, before we went to the break, we talked about his many career changes and career paths. And uh, wouldn't mind touching on a bit of that, Amir. It's been trials and tribulations. Yeah, well, it has. And, you know, like I was saying before, you know, I kind of didn't have the money to continue flying. And I got so far, I got right up to pre, pre-license, pre uh, unrestricted license. And then I just ran out of money. And I just was like, I'm not going to ask my parents to do this, you know. So I thought, well, I've got to go and start my own business. How do I make more money? Start your own business. Now, I knew nothing about business. Nor did I have any money to start my own business. My parents couldn't go and support me in my business ventures. Um, but uh, I kind of learned that I've got sales skills because I convinced my friend's grandmother to put her house on the line and go guarantor for me to, uh, wow. to, get, a, to get a loan for a business. Oh, wow. And, um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, this is, you know, grandmother, you know, she's retired and she's got one home and yeah, she put her, she went as guarantor. Uh, anyway, so I got my, my first business loan and uh, I was just like, I just wanted to put it somewhere. So a friend of mine was uh, opening an Italian restaurant in Chatswood and uh, he goes, he goes, mate, I've run out of money, you know, I, I need more money to open it up. So I was like, well, you know, I've just got this loan, let me put it in. And uh, so I did, I put it in and uh, it was around uh, the year 2000, I remember the Olympics were on and uh, Chatswood was dead during the Olympics. And uh, it was, yeah, well, I mean, pretty much straight after the Olympics, we went bust. So the business only lasted about nine months. And uh, here I am, you know, having my friend's grandmother, her house on the line, and I've lost, you know, $100,000 and, and uh, yeah, no way to pay her back. I couldn't imagine the stress that you'd be under, you know, feeling so deflated, particularly owing a grandmother. Yeah, and my mate's grandmother. Yeah, so well, I thought to myself, well, how, how am I going to pay this back? And it was such big repayments, I, and I just couldn't you know getting a job back then wouldn't have covered the repayments so i thought to myself well i need to, i need to get into another business so you know i kind of became good at getting loans <laughs> uh, i knew what to say to get things approved and uh yeah so i got another loan and uh you know i had uh, a friend of mine who had phones uh phone store so i got involved in uh opening up a phone store um back, it was back in the one till days and uh you know that started doing well i started uh, paying myself and we started making some money and then, uh, I don't know if you remember, but one tell went to liquidation. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Packers Mob, wasn't it? It yeah, was, yeah. Right. I think that's what uh, Kerry let James have that one. <laughs> one tell and one business stuff up. So, yeah. Interesting. So, w- w- from there, what, what happens when you have two businesses in that circumstance? I mean, you're on the brink of bankruptcy. How's the mindset? What's going on? You still owe the money to grandma. Yeah, still had the money to grandma. I mean, and, uh, you know, that's one thing that, you know, she believed in me and uh, I just couldn't give up on that. And uh, so I just, I would find the money to pay the repayments. If one thing I would pay off, it would be the repayments for that loan. Um, she knew what was going on. And uh, anyway, so long story short, you know, I sat down with my accountant and he's like, mate, you know, you've got to, you can't make these payments. You've got to, 
declare bankrupt. And uh, so, you know, here I am, 22, on the verge of bankruptcy. And uh, But I had the fight, you know, the will to keep paying it off because of my friend's grandmother. She believed in me. So um, I thought to myself, I'll just got to get a job and just, just pay this loan off. And I, do, I did that, started uh, working in the motivational promotion industry. So I would work with motivational speakers from America and within Australia. Long story short, um, you know, within six months of working in that industry, I kind of climbed up the ladder and there was an opportunity to start my own company, my own promotion company. But I had, didn't have a cent. And uh, this was the most amazing thing in my life. I, I remember just, just going, look, I can't get a loan. There's no money I have. There's just, I can't do anything. But the, op- the opportunity to start the business was there. And uh, so I, I just said, damn it, I'm, go- I'm going to do it. So I started the business, you know, even though I didn't have the money. You know, like you're probably thinking, well, how, how did you do it? Well, I just started selling. You know, I knew, I knew, well, if I can start selling, then I can start an office. Then I can start building a team. You know, I, I just, I, that's what I started doing. I had an opportunity and I, I started my third company. And uh, luckily, that company did quite well. We became one of the biggest uh, promotion, promote, promoting companies in Australia. We promoted American speakers into Australia. And yeah, we kind of paid all my debts off. Paid my friend's grandmother loan, loan off and uh, had started living a pretty uh, nice uh, fat lifestyle, if you like. Can I ask the relationship between the friend, the grandmother who was your friend and yourself, did that ever get frosty or was it always a, a tight friendship throughout all the, the stress and the money troubles? Yeah, my, my mate was, you know, he understood, you know, because, um, uh, you know, he, yeah, it, it did get a little bit, you know, how you going <laughs> because... Uh, you know, it was, you know, everyone got nervous when I couldn't make the repayments. Uh, but, you know, I didn't hear too much from the grandma. The grandma just kind of stayed quiet and, um, you know, she knew her house was on the line. And, uh, yeah, things worked out and I, I paid the grandmother off. And, um, yeah, that, that uh, made of mine, the only thing I, I got against him right now is he goes for para. <laughs> um, but he's, he's still a good mate. Yeah, obviously a good friend. Yeah. Mate, um, you then take your business, uh, you know, to, as you said, a nice fat life. Touch on that sort of uh, experience. You know, you've <clears throat> you've learnt the lesson of being almost bankrupt twice. Yep. You know, you've had a situation with the restaurant, situation with mobile phones. Did you use those experiences to, I suppose, assist you in this next business you start out of nothing? Yeah, I mean, like I never went to university or studied anything mm-hmm. uh, except for TAFE when I was studying aviation. Um, so, yeah, you know, those those became real life experiences and um, and, and and great motivation. You know, I think um, failures. We all need failures. Um, it's 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 what fuels our our, our success. You know, so they they did drive me. Yeah, it's a, it's a point I think is really important for some of our listeners out there who are looking to start their own business, who are in situations that you know, there's so many people you know that have got. Such a range of different circumstances. Some can have their parents back in them. Some come from nothing, either end of the spectrum. But yeah. Everyone has an attitude like you've got. They're going to make it, aren't they? And they're going to make it if they continue to keep getting up after getting knocked down. I mean, you've been knocked down twice. I mean, a lot of people would walk away. So it's interesting that you use those lessons and, and motivate yourself to come into a third business that's really doing well. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we all have uh, fears, you know, the fear of failure. Um, and to me... I have fear of being skinny. <laughs> Well, to me, to me, to me, the the fear of failure—it's—it's it's not like I ever overcame the fear of failure, but um, I I had something worth failing for. You know, when something was worth failing for, like yeah. you know, it's like, you, you know, it's like, you know, it's like someone wants to f- climb Mount Everest or something. It's not like you know you're not gonna 
there's no risk of dying. You know, there's no risk of getting injured or getting frostbites. It's, it's, it's worth taking that risk for, you know, same, same thing as falling in love, if you like. Yeah. Did you get better each time? Did you find that after the business, uh, you know, sort of failed and then you had the mobile phone situation where it was going good and then one tell failed on you? Did you find that you're a bit more strategic and you're a bit more planned? You knew you had a strength in selling. That's a really, you know, a positive uh, tool belt for someone. But did you find that you not only just used those uh, failures, but were you more strategic and you're more planned and a little bit more cautious? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bush. But, uh, That's two no's. <laughs> it's, uh, look, it, I, I never became, I've never been a, a strategic person or a planning person. I've always just gone and done things. Um, but I think the greatest thing um, to support what you're actually saying is I I, I learned more about myself every single time. Mm. I learned I learned who I am. I learned what drives me, um, and uh, I learned to trust myself. And that's that's the biggest thing. I'm 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 not smart in business. Um, I'm actually uh, yeah I'm not a smart business person. I'm 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 a very good leader, and uh, I know how to motivate people. I know how to sell. And um, I know, I know how to make take the steps forward, even though you're going through darkness. You know that's that's my biggest strength, and uh, so those are the things I learned about myself. And once you learn those kind of things about yourself, then you can use your strengths in life and manage your weaknesses. I'm not in good business. I'm not a good business person, so I would hire good business people, mm. right? But I would always focus my strength, focus on my strengths, and manage my weaknesses. So those are the biggest things I've got out of those experiences. I I, I get to know who I am. On that point, you, you had a very successful promotions company for motivational speakers, and then you decided yourself to hop into the realm of motivational speaker. How did that come about? Well, mate, I you know I, I was looking at my company and looking at some of our, our big expenses, and the biggest expenses you have in a promotion company is paying the, the actual the motive. talent. Yeah, paying the talent. And I was like, well, how do I reduce my cost here one day? And I was like, well, I can become the talent. You know, I mean, if I, if I was the talent and can I, can I do this, you know, and there was a huge amount of fear that came up because like, who am I to do this? You know, these guys have been studying this and they've been talking this and they've been doing this for a long time and they've got massive followers and who the hell am I to do that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. Um, but mate, that again, that, that feeling to do that became far greater than the fear of who am I? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uneducated. You know, I failed in high school. I got 15 and under in my TR. I don't even know how to add up or spell. How the hell am I going to get up on stage and write a book? And But, mate, you know, like I said, I felt to do it. And, and when, when you feel to do something in life, if you say no to the feeling, it feels like, for me, it felt like I was suffocating and I was dying, just like a slow death. So the feeling to do it became far greater and stronger than the fear of not doing it. Can everyone public speak? You know, a lot of people, and, you know, me and Bush do public speaking, as you know, and people say, I don't know how you can do that. I'm, I'm terrified of public speaking. Is it something that you're born with or is it something that you develop over time? Well, I'll tell you something. They say that the, the greatest fear we have, number one, is the fear of public speaking. Number two is the fear of death. So everyone relates to having the fear of public speaking. When I was uh, a promoter, I would uh, take these speakers on tour around Australia New Zealand and... And, uh, you know, I'll MC, you know, so I'll get up there and MC. And I'll never forget one day um, the publicist, my publicist came and showed showed me the newspaper. I think it was the Daily Telegraph or something. And, you know, she, she, you know, they were talking about, oh, it was a great event. And they had all these kind of celebrities at the event. And, and then they were like, but who was the MC? And uh, talked about how, how terrible the MC was. So, <laughs> mate, to give you an idea, I was terrible. I would 
get up there, arm and R and mm. uh, I had no. Shame we didn't have our number. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so mate, yeah, it, it kind of, um, you know, when you're ready, I think it's it, when the time's ready, you, you know, you'll do it. Um, so I had no skill in in speaking. I didn't get any training in speaking. It was again that just that burning desire that hey, you know what, I'm I'm going to do this, and um, you won't believe me. But I'll tell you my first talk. My first talk as a public speaker. You want to know what I did? Let's have a break and we come back and you can tell us all about it. You're on a cure for baldness. Ah, it's the working captain. I need more power. Got an electrical issue? Grant Walker Electrical Services have been providing reliability and affordability to their clients for over 20 years. They're experienced in residential, commercial and industrial fit-outs, large or small. So give them a call on 0415 091 546 or check out their website at grantwalkerelectrical.com.au. She's good to go now, Captain. Welcome back to A Cure for Boredness. You're with Silky and Bush and our special guest in the studio, Amir Zaghi, of course. Amir, an acrobatic pilot for the Red Baron. Amir, we've touched on uh, this great journey so far to this amazing job and business you have now. Um, but there's some some real tribulations on the way on the journey. Tell us about your first speaking gig. You were just touching on that before. So, yeah, I mean, as I was saying, there was a, there was a great amount of fear of, you know, can I do this? Who am I to do this? And, uh, you know, the, I sat down when I actually decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to put a talk together. I know this stuff, you know, I don't need these other speakers to, uh, tell me what to do. So anyway, I sat down and I started to write down what I'm going to, what I'm going to do. And I, I came up with the name of the program. And back then, it was called uh, the quest for truth, and uh, and that's all I came up with. There was nothing else. I was sitting there and I'm just having this like you know what they say the writer's block or creativity block. There was nothing. I was like I got nothing. Why would I feel to do something if there's nothing coming to me? And that's when you know I felt you know what if you really want to do this, do it in the moment. You know because I, I teach a lot about being present, being in the flow, being in the zone. Mm. And I was like, well, why don't you be in the zone and doing it? So get get a bunch of people in front of you and just speak. Now, as you can see, I was fucking shitting myself there. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. A, you know, you really that that's a you know big fear. So, but I decided to do it, and and I tell you, I'll be honest, you know, I did, I'm not that courageous. I actually got a friend of mine who was a speaker. He's an NLP speaker, and I said to him, "Hey, mate, his name was Patrick." I said, "Patrick, can you come? I'm doing this talk in my friend's boardroom. There was ten people I invited. They all came for free, and they're coming to hear me talk about the quest for truth, right?" And uh, I said to him. Can you come and be the second speaker just in case I've got nothing to say and I just freeze and, and you just, you know, you have my back. He goes, yeah, yeah, no worries. So that's what I did. Anyway, so I started speaking and man, this stuff just started coming out and, uh, you know, and even Patrick, my, my friend would get excited and jump in and go, oh yeah, and this is, and I was like, Patrick, I got this. And I spoke for the entire day. That, that program now is actually called the WTF experience. And the reason it's called the WTF experience is because so many people go, what the fuck? Yeah. So it actually stands for the wisdom, truth, and freedom experience. Wow. See, for, for me, when I speak and, and Bush pulls me out, I, I'm mad on taking notes and prep, but to to know that you just walk out there and freestyle it, like yeah. that's Bush's kind of, I, I find that staggering. I yeah. just find it really hard to comprehend how you can just walk into a, a group of people and you speak to hundreds, maybe thousands of people in, you know, stadium or auditoriums or whatever it may be and just walk out in front and just deliver. I just find that unbelievable. Mm. I, I found Amir and I pretty motivational through this too, to be honest with you. It's good you bring it up. Yeah. Well, you know, when we when we talked about doing this show, I, I, I said many times, look, look, we'll just go with it because that is actually my style. Um, I love freestyling. It's, 
you know you, you, why because it, you're, you're totally present like you're you are in the flow you are in the zone like put me on the spot anytime but when i do um interviews or different things sometimes they send me the questions and i'm or they want to send me the questions and i'm like guys it's cool just just ask me what you want yeah because I don't, I don't like to prepare prepare you, you see i believe you can't prepare for creativity you know like, you, you can't but there's a certain element i've taken silky and bush are you know in our brand yeah um, you know, I, I've done a lot of this um, speaking and a lot of uh, emceeing and hosting, I guess, over the years. And I always find, and I found myself at the Roosters, someone said, what are you doing, mate? You've got to do your kids' homework. I was furiously writing some notes. So I, I believe there's a little bit of preparation, but then I'm massively off the cuff. Yeah. But I've got respect for both sides. Where Silky, and for those speakers out there listening to this, um, there's, there's, there's a bit of science behind it, I think. You've got to know your topic. You've got to do a bit of research. But you also got to be able to be off the cuff, and I find that's my strength as well. I find being off the cuff's easy, but I greatly respect the researcher mm. because it gives you a foundation to work from. So it's, I suppose, it's it's one of those things. It's a you know, you are or you aren't. Yeah, look, I think I think the most important thing is uh, you've got you've got to have something to say. So I've had a lot of people who come up to me and go, "Hey, you know, how do I become a motivational speaker?" And I'm like, "You've got to have something to say." Like. You got something to say, and you got to have a connection to what you want to say. That's yeah. the most important thing, mate. Who are some of the uh, the influences that you've had over the past? I mean, like I said, you've travelled around the world speaking speaking in front of people. I suppose business types, you name it. Who are some of the people that you've drawn inspiration from? Believe it or not, you, you, look out of all the people I've met, and I've met a lot of people. Um, the biggest inspiration has been my mum. Yeah. I'm not a mummy's boy, but um, she's the one who's actually taught me a lot of these things. And the reasons why I would promote these some of the speakers that I resonated with was because they re- I resonated with what they were saying because it was close to what my mum has been teaching me as a, as, a, as a young age, from a young age. So my mum's pretty, uh, she's a very intuitive uh, person. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been my mum. It, it, I, I got to a point, Silky, where I actually was like, when I decided to be a speaker, I didn't want to go to any more any personal development program, spiritual program, professional development program, what you name it. I didn't want to read a book. You know, I got to that point. I, I'm not one to actually read. Yep. That's the thing because I told you, like, it, it, reading wasn't my strong suit. I, I never read, and I so. But and this kind of was supportive for me because I was just like, I know these answers. You know, everyone knows. If you think about this, intuition, right? in, intuition. Right. If you think, how many times has a mate come up to you and they've gone through problems or or, or you know a dilemma or something? And then they, you know, they're, they're confining to you and they're telling you that what's going on. And then suddenly you go, oh, don't worry, mate. It's da 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 da. And then what comes out of your mouth? You're just like, shit, where'd that come yeah, from? Yeah. That, or, that, was, that was pretty good. Or why didn't I give that advice to myself when I had the same problem? How much does that happen? Yeah, well, that's probably why it's happening. Yeah. Cause we're always giving the advice to ourselves first. Um, but that's the thing, you know, like I believe, I believe anyone can do it. Everyone's got the wisdom, you know, that's my work is all about getting people to realize that, you know, I don't have the answer. You know, I'm just telling you how I found my answer so you can hopefully, you know, it's like the whole thing about teach them how to fish, don't give them the fish. That's kind of what my work is about. It's, it's like getting people to find out their own answers because no one's got the answer for you. You know, it's about you. It's about The answer's you. in you. Exactly. And you know that because there is, everyone has the moments in their life where they've given advice to someone and they're just like, where'd that come from? Has there ever been a moment where you've been on stage and you've walked off and, and you've you've said, or is there is there one experience where you said, oh, "Geez, I connected," or I really engaged? Is there one specific talk that you gave that stands out, mate? You know what? I, I think the better question for me, and not to high note myself, but uh, is is there a moment that you didn't connect, right? Uh, you know, because honestly, like I do connect, and 
the, and the thing is, I don't put my attention on connecting with the clients. I do the opposite. I put my attention on connecting with myself. So I don't really, I mean, I see the audience, but it's about me connecting with what I've got to say. If I connect with what I've got to say, everyone seems to connect. Even if they disagree with what I'm saying, they've got a connection with it. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that, but something about what he's saying, I'm intrigued, right? I can tell you the moment where I, I didn't have that connection, where I was just like, got off stage and I was like, oh, I really missed the point today. And uh, and that was, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, I was like speaking around the world, doing different talks. I was speaking every weekend in a different city of the world. Wow. And I was just like, you know, I, you know, I remember the, the MC is a mate of mine, uh, Jamie. He introduced me to go up on stage, and as he walked past me, as I was getting on stage, kind of gives me a hug, you know, pats me in the back, goes, "Good luck." And I and I just remember thinking, and I even said to him, "It's all good. I got it. It's in the bag." And mate, it's it's the biggest mistake you make. As soon as you think, "Oh, you've got it," you know, it's uh, you lose it. You know, so that's the probably the moment that really sticks out. So I never actually think I got it. You know, I'm always just allowing myself to stay completely present with uh, the experience I'm having right now, and then just just be with what's happening. So it's that's probably the better question. So amirzogi.com, that that's your website. What's your specialty? What is it that you bring to people? Yeah, amirzogi.com is the website. It's probably hard for people to spell, but it's a m i r z o g h i dot com. Look, my, I mean, the specialty, you know, for me, like I said, you know, when, when I was when I had my business failures or those moments, um, the biggest thing I found out, uh, the biggest thing I got out of those things is finding out who I am, you know. So my specialty is getting people to connect with who they are, you know, and it's not about what's happening in your life. It's about it's about connecting with who you are, when what's happening. And then that determines how you respond to what's happening. So that's what everything's about. And what I, what I do, you know, I always talk about, you know, life is experienced outside of your comfort zone. So, you know, that's the kind of thing. If you're, if you're into just staying in your comfort zone, I'm not for you. If you want to get outside of your comfort zone, and the reason why people want to get outside of their comfort zone is because that's where you experience who you really are. And that's where you experience growth, expansion, and, you know, you experience the thrill, of life so um yeah so that's that's what i do i i help people to get outside of the box if you like and uh get outside of the comfort zone and uh when you get see what happens in life is that when you get outside of your comfort zone what was your comfort what what becomes your discomfort becomes your comfort do you understand so because when you get people don't like to get outside the comfort zone because there's a level of uncertainty Mm -hmm. right what happens is that when you get outside of your comfort zone and experience that level of uncertainty, what happens is not that you don't you become uncertain. It, what happens is you become certain in the uncertain. You know, it's like speaking. You know, you don't if you if people feel uncomfortable just to wing it, right? But the reason you feel un- uncomfortable about winging it is because you're afraid of what, what if I don't know what to say, right? But what happens is you become so comfortable in not knowing what to say, and that's when you say the most amazing things. So that's that's what my work is all about. It's about being outside the comfort zone and making what's discomfort comfortable. Well, Amir, we're going to talk about that comfort zone in a moment as we go into our next chapter in this journey. You become an aerobatic pilot and uh, set up your business, Red Baron. You've been listening to Cure for Boldness with Silky Bush and Amir Zogi, our special guest. We'll be back right after this break. If you need your office spick and span, your carpets cleaned, your toilets glam, or your plumbing checked by a maintenance man... Call Fit Services. If your outdoors too have been neglected, your car park needs painting, your garden's protected, your pathways swept or a new fence erected, call Fit Services. 
Maybe you need something built brand new. An office refurbishment, an extension or two, or an AC system with ducting right through. Call Fit Services. Fit Services. Quality services, second to none. Call 1-300-011-011. Welcome back to A Cure for Bouldershire with Silky and Bush. And in the studio with us is Amir Zaghi, of course, from amirzaghi.com. Amir, before the break, we talked about getting out of your comfort zone, and uh, that segues perfectly into our next topic, Red Baron. Red Baron, of course, you become an aerobatic pilot. Can you talk us through that chapter in the book? Well, it's interesting. You know, I'd never envisioned myself being an aerobatic pilot. You know, as I, as I was saying, when I was 16, I kind of started flying, and then I didn't fly for 14 years. I didn't fly for. Um, and then one day, you know, as I'm traveling around the world and doing my speaking gigs and you know, I still got excited when I would get on an Airbus 380 or 747, you know, I'd be like talking to my friends, like, this is what we're doing now. And we're landing on runway one six and everyone just like, shut up in the air. So, and then one day I was just like, you know, what, why am I not flying? I mean, I didn't fly for 14 years, you know, originally I just stopped flying it was because I didn't have the money. I've got the money. Um, and, uh, time was the next thing, you know, it's always the big, two big things that hold us back money or time. So then I thought, well, if I really love to do this, I've got to give up some of the speaking, you know. So I actually cancelled a lot of my tours. And uh, I was, like I said, I was speaking every weekend in a different city. And um, so I cancelled that, gave up gave up a lot of uh, income, actually, uh, to actually start up speaking. Anyway, long story short, I um, got back into it and uh, got my private pilot license, got my commercial pilot license. But how I found myself in the aerobatic is quite interesting because, you know, when I was younger, when we go to the fun park, Luna Park, and all that kind of good stuff, Easter show, my brothers and sisters would love to go on the roller coaster and anything that's going to give you that big thrill. And I was always the kid waiting down the bottom for them to come back, you know, because I'd never get on roller coasters. It was not my thing. So the only reason I got into aerobatics was because I wanted to become a better pilot. You know, I got my license, and then I was like, well, what's the next step? And I thought, well, people were saying, well, if you know how to do aerobatics, you kind of know how to do advanced flying. So I went there, you know, with a lot of anticipation and, uh, you know, a lot of fear because, you know, that's you, as a pilot, you don't want to be inverted. That's the complete opposite of what you want to do. You want to kind of, I was a, always the kind of person that wanted to fly straight and level. Anyway, long story short, went there to become a better pilot and I think I did. Uh, and then I got hooked. I was just like, man, this is like, this is awesome. I would take friends out and going to do a steep turn, go, oh, watch this, you know. But then when I did aerobatics, I'd take friends out and show them loops and battle rolls. And, uh, yeah, so now I just, I, I love it. See, what was uncomfortable for me, I became comfortable in doing. Mm. I mean, you've said earlier that you're, you're not that bright by way of study and you've got a pretty poor result in your exams. There's a lot of study goes into becoming acrobatic pilots. Is that just, you're just driven to succeed or is this something you picked up along the way? It was quite interesting, actually, when I when they started telling me all the t exams that I got to do uh, in becoming a pilot, and I was like, oh wow, well, I got to really s study. And I thought oh, I'll sign up to this course or that course, and none of them lined up for me because of the timing. And uh, and I realized I had to self study, so that's the worst thing for me to do. But that's what I had to do. I I, I self studied, and and I have to, I would actually literally have to remember how to do math. And I was like, well, how do you subtract that? Like and and. You know, I had to revisit stuff from like school, but you know, I was like, well, if if I want this bad enough, then that's what I got to do. So, um, you know, I it was just having the will. And I think that if your if your will is great enough, um, you know, you won't see the hurdles. We only see the hurdles if you know the the goal or the outcome or the will is not is not big enough. So, yeah, I mean, I 
I, I started to, you know, I feel very comfortable now in doing math and, you know, and uh, yeah, kind of uh, polished up the things that I left off at, at, at school. You know, if, if something you really love to do, uh, you know, at school I was getting in trouble and getting kicked out of school, uh, getting kicked out of class. But uh, when I, when, you know, to do, to be better at math is linked to being a pilot, you know, nothing stops you. You know, you're like, yeah, cool. That's what I got to do next. What's it like to fear going through your first barrel roll, your first uh, loop turn or any of these moves? Are you with another pilot who's very experienced that can pull you out of it? I mean, in a car and you've got your L plates on and you've got the learner driver, he's got the control of the, the car as well. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing I had to face at first, you know, my first aerobatic flight, never forget it, we were doing aileron rolls and we're just doing rolls after rolls after rolls. Um, the biggest thing I had to face was, uh, you know, the feeling a little bit sick, you know, I remember, uh, you know, we're doing an hour of rolls and, uh, when I landed, I, I, you know, I, I didn't get to a point of throwing up, but I was so disorientated. I like, I had to, I sat in my car, no joke for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes because I couldn't drive. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, yeah, getting used to that. So my tolerance level to G forces, uh, was very weak at first. Is that something you build up over time? Absolutely, yeah. It's, and, and it's something you lose over time as well if you don't fly. So you've got to kind of stay current. Like if you haven't flown for like three months and then you go and pull eight Gs, you probably pass out. Yeah, so God, sounds you, like a good night out. <laughs> now, how many times a week would you fly and you would practice to maintain your craft? Not your aircraft, I mean the craft of flying. Yeah, look, I, I would, you know, I'd. I take people out for uh, adventure flights, so that that kind of keeps me busy. I, I, I would do a few of those, uh, sometimes a few a day. But uh, I, I mean, I would say I fly at least five times uh, five times a week. Yep. And some of those days you've got back to back, and you might do four or five flights. Uh, but if I wasn't, I'd, I'd still go out on my own and and just just have a leisure flight. And and uh, we, I also do aerobatic competitions. And uh, so you got to, you know, when you got a comp coming, is out. that like the Red Bull stuff that you see on TV? No, a little bit different. So that's a that's a air race. Yep. So that's a Red Bull air race. Aerobatic competition is huge as well. It's a sport. Yep. Uh, so what you have is you've got a kilometer by a kilometer box, and you've got judges on the ground, and you got to do all your maneuvers within one kilometer by one kilometer within this, this space of air. So and then you get you get marked on each maneuver that you do. So, um, you know, we've got our the New South Wales Championships coming up um, in September and October. We've got our the, the Nationals. So we, I go out there with, with some of the boys and we, we compete. And you've been able to tie your, your motivational speaking into the flying as well. How's that work? Well, that's, you know, that's a great question. Um, you know, if you think about it, like I help people get outside of the comfort zone. I mean, I don't have to try very hard getting someone outside the comfort zone when I throw the plane upside down. You know, yeah. people, you're immediately outside of your comfort zone. You know, I'm doing flick rolls, loops. You know, the moment you're experiencing G-forces, you're outside of your comfort zone. You're getting tunnel vision or, you know, uh, losing color. And sometimes, you know, what's called G-lock, which is passing out. So, yeah, um, I don't have to do much talking to actually get someone outside of their comfort zone when it comes to flying. So I've been able to merge the two together. It's been fantastic. You know, I've, I've got a lot of my clients who, who choose to now come out and, uh, besides me doing one-on-one coaching or besides them doing my programs online, they come out and have a flight and we talk about, uh, I give them a direct experience of what it's like to be outside of your comfort zone and then how you respond to being outside of your comfort zone. So yeah, that's been that's been fantastic. And uh, we've even put together corporate days now uh, at Red Baron where we've got uh, companies that actually send their, 
their staff or the team, you know, the best salespeople or the whatever. And uh, we take them out for uh, corporate days and some of them get me to actually speak and inspire their team um, before they go out for a flight as well. You try and do, uh, get the great Anthony Minicello in, up there, aren't you? Mate, I've been trying since, uh, yeah, I would say late last year, early this year, but uh, he's like, yeah, 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 I'm good for it. But, uh, you know, he's he's been dodging the bullet. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if he's got it in him. For those listeners out there that may uh, have lived under a rock or not known who Anthony Mincello is, of course, he's the former Sydney Roosters captain, two premierships, State of Origin, World Cup uh, winner, World Boot winner. Um, he's done everything in the game. He holds a record or equals the record. Well, he of hasn't most, been upside in the pl- upside most, down in the most, plane. No, most yeah. games at the Roosters. And, and the motivation behind that is he's done so much where fear is a huge thing in contact sport like that. It's probably the hardest sport in the world. Absolutely. But overcoming a fear like going into the plane and getting upside down, living upside down, as you say, would be something, uh, and, and facing G-lock would be something that would be frightening. So it's amazing that many has been avoiding you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of stress on the body as well when you, you're flying and G's. And, but you you have to keep yourself in pretty peak condition, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, um, you know, that's that's uh, something I actually enjoy doing outside of flying anyway is is to train, you know, um, train with you boys uh, at Origin of Energy in uh, Bono Junction. So, um, yeah, like I, I train five days a week and uh, yeah, I don't overdo it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to keep fit and um you know, from time to time, I slip up on what I what I eat. I let go for like six months and put a bit of kilos on. But then yeah, I yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's obviously the, the the more muscle your body has, the more tolerant you are to to g forces. Mm. And uh, so you know what you eat and you know your your workout routine is actually quite important for someone who's taking aerobatic quite seriously. For someone like yourself who has spent his life around experts and people that are very, um, you know, good and professional in their field and experienced, the training at Origin I know is a particular, uh, you know, type of training which is in a functional movement if you like and, and, you know, like a gymnastics base, even someone like myself at at an age, you know, is finding huge, huge benefits and and little gains for someone like me. But do you find that it lends itself more to what you do as a a pilot? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember when I first started uh, flying because I've been at Origin for over six years. Well, when I first started doing aerobatics, I should say, uh, you know, doing gymnastics, it's uh, you know, it's acrobatic. You know, yep. you're doing acrobatic. It's very supportive for my aerobatics. Yes, uh, complementary. You know, yes, yeah, so I remember when I was first trying to get uh, more tolerance to going being upside down and uh, throwing myself, you know, inside out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would do the the rings and throw myself, you know, do little loops or what do you call them, flips in them. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, when I, when I first started doing aerobatics, I kind of spoke to Aaron about how, how, you know, what's the best, uh, gym routine or workout routine that I could do to support me in the aerobatic. And he gave me a couple of things and, uh, that's been super supportive. Mate, uh, you touched on a bit earlier. I know you said you're living a fat life when the business went well from the promotional company and you had a stage where you, you carried a little bit of weight and that was, uh, it was amazing that you, you know, sort of had a journey where you, you took that off and there's a lot of listeners out there and it's a universal problem. You know, everyone, even fit people, you know, say, oh, mate, I'm carrying a bit too much or beautiful women say, I look fat in this and just go, God, what if you look fat in that? God, everyone else is obese. But did you have um, a stage where you put a bit of weight on from the good life and uh, and you had to take it off? Oh, yeah. You know, I was dinner out every night and I remember I was like overeating, you know, crappy food. I wanted to eat like really nice food, five-star restaurants and all that. So, I was living that. So I yep. was out in restaurants all the time. I was single. Uh, so, uh, but that caught up with me. You know, if you see old drinking, people, uh, yeah, I was yep. drinking every night. So uh, living the good life, the yeah. alcohol, the food, martinis, the, you know, and yep. you know, beers, and 
you know. And it catches up. It does. I mean, look, I, I put on a bit of weight. And, uh, uh, yeah, if you see old videos of me, you can see, like, I was a bit of a nugget. And uh, I, got, I think I got up to, like, you know, 115, 120 kilos. And uh, one day I moved to Bondi. Yep. That's, you know, that changed things. Especially I, if you walked in there in summer. That'll that, motivate you to take weight off. That, that's, what, that's what happened. I yep. moved to Bondi and I started going there in the morning just to, you know, that's what you do. You go in the mo- one, maybe hang out in the morning at the beach and, and everyone's just like fit, you know, and yep. they're just like, man, this is different because I was living in the city. I was living in the toaster at Circular Quay. Uh, so you kind of don't see too many people with their shirts off there. Down yeah, there. yeah. But Bondi inspired me. Um, the lifestyle and, 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 you know, how people lived uh, in Bondi. In the city, it was all about work, work, work. And, and so when you're working so hard and you're not taking care of what you eat and, and, and you know, not training uh, frequently enough, that's what happens. Did so, you feel less motivated? Did you feel when you put the way you get to 115, you're living the high life, did you feel sluggish and, and sort of, you know, Less energetic and everything yourself? Yeah, sure. You know, but you kind of push it aside and ig- ignore it because yep. you're too busy living the good life. So, but, you know, I mean, luckily it didn't catch up to me. You know, I didn't have any health problems. I just had an image problem. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd rather have the image problem that comes up. Most people are like, oh, I've got an image problem. Well, at least you don't have a health problem. Yeah, know? of course. If you've got, if you've gone too far with your health and got, you know, diabetes or, you know, whatever else, you know, different kind of diseases that we can get, then that's when you really got a problem. But, um, yeah, so I didn't mind having an image problem, but uh, kind of turned the, turned things around and, you know, met Aaron at Origin of Energy. and Started eating. Well, when, what do you call good food now? What's good food? Before it would have been a beautiful uh, way you beef with, you know, the, the, all the trimmings and the mashed potato and the organic beans. What is it now? Yeah, look, I, I you know, I do everything. I try to do everything in, in, in moderation. and uh, But I, I mean, if my day-to-day food, probably 90% of it is uh, just high high protein and high good fats. And uh, and just cutting out the sugar, mate. You're about to uh, embark on a on another personal journey. Your lovely or your new wife Sally's just about to have your first kid. How, how are you dealing with that, mate? Yeah, very excited. Um, yeah, I'm just checking my phone to see if she ha- she's actually called. Oh, me don't worry, we'll rush you out of here. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's about to give birth any moment. She hasn't gone uh, into labour yet, uh, but she's uh, she's very due. Uh, mate, it's been great. You know, I've got we got married uh, earlier this year up in the Hunter Valley and got some of the boys to come up there and do an air- aircraft display over the wedding and it was, it was really special um i really wanted to get married a, in an airfield somewhere but uh you know she, she said no so we went up to the hunter and i just did an air display so we kind of got both Best things course, yeah. but look um it's been it's been a change and um you know i was i was used to always being uh you know I, I, I've, 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 I've been a big person about freedom you know i always talk about you know being free to do what you want to do, mm-hmm. living a free life, you know, whether that's financially or, you know, spiritually. Um, but uh, one of the biggest things uh, that helped me back in getting into a settled relationship, I mean, I'm like 37 now and, you know, I've got my first child coming up only now. But uh, one of the things that helped me back is because I, I didn't want to settle down uh, with anyone. I didn't want to settle down and give up my freedom. That was yeah. my biggest thing. And uh, one of the things I realized uh, in my life is that uh, when you – find freedom in a relationship you found that you found the right mm. person because uh, i was always fighting for my freedom like i would you know um i'd be i'd, I'd be a relationship person i'd yeah. always have relationships but i wouldn't go that extra step i mean i, I had i was in, before uh sally i was engaged with another girl a colombian girl and you know I, I called the wedding off you know i got to that point i just couldn't commit to get over that line wow. And, Is that because uh, you couldn't find the freedom in that relationship? Oh, that's a great point you just made. Yeah, it's. A, it's I think uh, I read that quote somewhere in um, a guy called David Dieter, his his books, 
and uh, he said that uh, you know you, you know it's about finding it's you know it, the relationship is about finding the freedom because he said a lot of Mao or Mao energy uh, they don't like to give up their freedom you know they want to be free so uh, but you kind of uh, it's about finding the freedom in the relationship and I think that's that's what uh, changed for me when I met Sally. Ami, you're in the business of giving advice. What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? I've ever been given? Um, you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I, uh, I don't know about the best bit of advice I've been given, but I'll tell you the greatest advice that's been given in this world. How about that? Perfect. All right, because I get, I get interviewed all the time. Well, not all the time, but uh, you know, when I do, they always ask, what's the greatest advice that you could give? And, and it's always, oh, I like to share this advice because it's, it's the greatest advice that's ever been given in this entire world. We continuously give this advice to the people that we most care about. And I'm going to say this, it's going to be so simple, and you'll be like, oh, yeah. But you know what? It's not, it's not that simple. You know, it's, well, sometimes what's simple to do is not easy, actually easy to do. And the greatest advice, if you ever think about it, if someone ever says, you know, there's coming, they come to you with, you know, hey, I've got this going on. Oh, think about your kids or, you know, uh, someone's going on a date or something, and they go, oh, what should I do? How should I be? You know, the greatest advice is, um, you know, they, you always say, honey, just be yourself and just do what you love. You know, you think about it, right? I know it's like, oh, that's so simple, right? It's the greatest advice ever given. It's the one least taken, right? We can always say that to someone, be yourself. Most people don't know how to be themselves. You know, you got to know who you are before you can be yourself. You know, usually you're being a version of yourself uh, and that is suiting uh, um, to get accepted or to get to get people to approve of you. Um, so I think um, the freedom comes in you giving yourself permission uh, to be yourself. And then the other one is do what you love. Like here I am traveling around the world making, you know, a mozza, you know, mm -hmm. speaking. You, know, you, get pretty paid, you get paid well for speaking. And then going to a point going, you know what, I love to fly now. And I'm on, I mean, I'm changing my whole industry. I'm a speaker. I'm an inspirational speaker traveling around the, world, around the world. And then for me to go, okay, stop. I'm going to go start flying. And starting all over again, learning how to fly all over again because I hadn't flown for 14 years, getting my pilot license, and then, and then starting or getting involved in the aviation industry and buying into a company, buying aircraft. And it's, it's brand new. It's like stop what you're doing and then now do this, you know. So – that, that second part, do what you love, everyone would say, yeah, you've got to do what you love, but not everyone can do it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, there's this, there's this blockage because, and the blockage is, yeah, but yeah, I, you know, I don't have the money. You know, I told you about the story of starting my company with no money. Yeah. You know, do, yeah, but do you have the will? Do you have what it takes to overcome the fear? Do you have, like, like I said to you before, it's, it's not about overcoming the fear necessarily. It's about having uh, the, the goal that's bigger than the fear. So I'll give you one. If yep. your will is great enough, you don't see the hurdles. I've taken a couple of them down, mate. This has been really, for our listeners out there, some of this, uh, well, not some, all of it's been really inspiring, but some things really stuck out for me and yep. everyone will resonate differently. But I think some of those points you made when you find freedom relationship, you found that person. I think it's great, you know, your passion. When your passion's greater, you know, than the fear, you go on. I think it's a really, really good message that you send out there. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks. Appreciate it. Amir, with, uh, you know, with all the, the, I suppose, the two business failures and starting out and just that will to pay off your uh, your good friend's grandma, uh, you find yourself motivational speaking and then become a sought-after, motiv well, promoting motivational speakers, I should say, and then a motivational speaker yourself. You're earning big bucks. You become a fat cat in your own words. Then, bang, 
stop. You're going to follow your passion and fly. I, I just think it's so motivating and it's just a great story that so many people can resonate. You know, you've got the part of that story is, you know, losing weight and getting yourself fit, getting ready for G-forces, training, doing the things that, uh, you know, you need to do to prepare yourself. And then you're investing in a business that was so far off your radar. It's ridiculous. Mate, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Um, yeah, people ask me that all the time. And uh, my answer is always where I am now. I mean, it's not... It's you're not in the it's, present. Yeah, I mean, like, to, to me, like, if, if if the life that I'm living right now, if, if 10 years ago I said, where, where would you see yourself 10 years? I, I, I'd love what I'm living now, you know? Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing is I, I appreciate what I've got now. Yep. If, I don't like to look too far. Uh, I know most people like to have plans and have all their goals set out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, having direction and, and having a vision. But um, I, I like that to unfold from, from, from this present moment. Uh, so, I mean, if, if nothing had changed in my life right now, I'd be happy, right? And, and that's the thing. Like, the question is, you know, people think, well, you need to become successful to be happy. And it's not. It's you need to be happy to become successful. Yeah. And that's, that's the honest truth for answer. I'm, I'm happy. Yep. I'm happy with what I've got. And, um, you know, in 10 years' time, you know, I, I never look that far ahead, to be honest. What makes you laugh? What make, you definitely make me laugh. You, you and Fletch, mate. You what, guys are funny. What makes you cry? Uh, I think inspirational things. Yeah. Like if something really touches me, like, you know, overcoming hurdles and, 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 and being someone, experiencing people who are really authentic and real, Yeah, um, that makes me sometimes tearful. It really makes me connect. Mate, it's been absolutely uh, inspiring. I've really, really enjoyed having you. And I mean, Silky and I are sitting here and I'm taking notes on my uh, on my iPhone, as you can see. Just with some of the things you said, I mean, I think everyone's going to get something out of this. But the story, you know, you've told and, and then segueing into, uh, you know, com, I should say, where you motivate people. I can see why. I can clearly see why you have so many clients. I can see why you've had success. I think the biggest thing that I'm going to take out of it, Silky, is, and I loved it, when the passion overcomes the fear. And I think about myself with surfing. He's a great surfer. I think, mm. get out there, you fat bastard. Just get out there. And I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to go do that stuff. And I loved it. Really yeah. want to thank you for coming in, spending time with Silky and Bush on a cure for baldness. Yeah.